could open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. And Nehemiah and the people are going to get to work now. They're getting to work. They're starting to build the walls. When you first start reading this chapter, and if you've if you started reading the chapter already, uh, you may have finished it. You may have said, "Oh well, I'll just wait till Wednesday night," because it doesn't seem to be very exciting reading, or to be very enlightening. Just you know, a, a lot of uninteresting, I guess you would think, uh, repetition. And a lot of names of people and places that, that we don't know and have a hard time pronouncing. But as I've said many times before, if you take your time and you study the text and you dig into it, you apply a little spiritual sweat, you meditate on it, you'll find it's not boring at all. And it becomes interesting and you'll learn a lot of things and it will bless you. And it has some great lessons for us tonight. We're told to study. To show thyself approved unto God, workman, that is a toiler, that needs need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's the way the Bible works. If you read the Bible casually, you're not going to get much out of it. But if you study it, it will bless you with abundant life. Bible study is essential for spiritual growth. God doesn't bless those who are lazy in the word of God. He won't, those who won't study his word sincerely, he doesn't bless. You have to put effort into studying the word of God if you want it to, to open the door to its treasures of blessings to you. We read in Psalm 1 too, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. You see, he delights in the word of God. Why? He meditates on it day and night. The psalmist also says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. You will delight in serving God if his word is in your heart. Proverbs 2, 4 through 5, Solomon said, If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Again, the Bible doesn't yield its fruit to the lazy. People are willing to work hard in their jobs because they know they're going to get a paycheck for their hard work. But what about applying themselves just as diligently to God's word in order to gain spiritual riches that are more valuable than any gold, silver, and jewels? These are riches that will last forever. There's a price to pay if we want to gain spiritual wisdom. But there's an even greater price to pay if we don't gain godly wisdom. We must walk with God through the study of his word. Chapter 3 here shows us that there's a place of ministry for everybody. Everybody, if you have a mind to work. Some 38 people and 15 different groups are mentioned here in chapter 3 who worked in building the walls. And they represent all the workers who helped to build the wall. They represent that, again, all of those that, they, that can get involved and that, that, you know, have a work to do. And there were probably thousands of workers, not just those that are mentioned here. But God knows who's doing his work and he knows who's not. And he will give the right recognition when the right time comes. Nehemiah's mention of these men is a word of approval of these people. 
And the men named here were, for, for the most part, they were fearless men. They were men who risked their lives to live by faith and lead the nation in God's work by stepping up to give their time and their energy to, to build these walls. This is the kind of men and women that it takes, that is men and women of character to make a great nation and to build a great church. You know, those who, who whine and complain and are lazy, they never make a great nation. They never build a great church. The workers here in chapter 3 had to cooperate with Nehemiah if the walls were going to be rebuilt because Nehemiah couldn't do it alone. So we read in chapter 2, verse 18, the people said, let us rise up and build. And here we see that's exactly what they're doing. The cooperation of the workers reminds us that any work requires cooperation by a lot of people. It takes more people than we think to do God's work. And there's no place for the lazy person or the lone ranger or superstar in God's program. And many of these people showed a selfless and spiritual behavior. It was selfless behavior. It was self-sacrificing behavior for men from other cities to give of their time and their hard work to help support the well-being of another city. These people had to travel a long way to get to Jerusalem. They had to leave their work at home. They had to leave their families to come do the work. And by coming, they showed that they weren't jealous about another city that was going to prosper, maybe even more than their own. Self-sacrificing actions helps to move God's work forward to get it done. But when God's people become selfish instead of selfless, his work, God's work, will really be hindered. So by coming to Jerusalem, these men showed spiritual behavior. Jerusalem was where the temple was, and it represented the worship of God. And by helping to rebuild the walls, it showed that they were concerned about God's honor. They cared about God's reputation so much so that they were willing to do whatever it took, whatever they could do to help, they were willing to do. True spirituality is concerned about God's honor. And true spirituality will be interested in doing what it can to honor God even more. Our country today, it's quite obvious, they're definitely not interested in honoring God. It's pretty obvious by the laws that it passes to forbid honoring God. And by their failure in honoring God, it shows their failure in spirituality. Now, there are at least seven different skills pointed out here of those who worked on the walls. There were probably more. But the priests were involved. Goldsmiths were involved. Perfumers, leaders, the Nethanim who were uh, assistants to the um, to the. Um, the Aaronic priesthood. There were water carriers, gatekeepers, and merchants. All of these different skills shown here should encourage believers that, that, that no matter what your job is in life, you still have a responsibility to serve the Lord. We are called to serve the Lord. But unfortunately, too many members are looking for reasons not to serve the Lord. But you know what? The scriptures don't give us any exemptions from serving God. All of God's children are called to serve him. You know, over and over you read, we are servants of the Lord God. And no matter what we do for a living, what you do for a living in this life, you are called to serve the Lord. Jesus' call to come is a call to come and to die. It's a call to come and a call to die to self. Now, there is an exception. This doesn't mean that jobs where evil is promoted is acceptable. You know, if a person's job involves wickedness, 
and sin, you have to quit that job before you can serve God. Because you see, we can't promote wickedness in our job and then try to promote righteousness in serving the Lord. And we, we get the, the, the support for that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 18. Listen to what, the, what it says. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog, which was a male prostitute, to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You know, it's like saying, you know, a man who, who wants to go out and gamble and says, oh man, Lord, if you help me win, you know, all this money, he says, I'll, I'll give you a part of it. God don't want it. If it's, if it's obtained by, by abominable means, he doesn't want it. You see, God doesn't accept money made by abominable means, which means he obviously doesn't like the work. So Nehemiah here starts this list of those who are working with the priests. Notice what he says now in chapter 3 of verse 1. He says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananel. So it starts with the priests. Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests were the first people to start rebuilding Jerusalem's walls. And at this time in history, Israel's history, the priests were the leaders. Now, there were no kings nor, or judges. So the people looked to the priests for leadership. And it's important that the high priest and the priest built the sheep gate, first of all. You see, this sheep gate was on, on Jerusalem's north side, just north of the temple. Northeast side, just north of the temple. And it was used to bring sheep to the temple for sacrifice. So they, they built it and they consecrated it. The priest dedicated the repaired gate, the wall, and the tower to the Lord. Because they knew that unless God blessed the city with his presence, no walls or gates would keep the people safe. And if anybody in this city should have been busy in the work, it was the priests. Because the glory of God was involved in the project. And that the high priest used his consecrated hands to do manual labor shows that he considered the work on the wall to be a ministry to the Lord. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Eliashib recruited the other priests to work at the sheep gate at the northeast corner of the city. Now again, the gate was near the temple area. So it made sense that the priests make this their special project. Why? This is the only gate that's recorded and said it was sanctified. In other words, it was dedicated to God in a special way. Because the sheep gate reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. Nehemiah could have started his recording of, of the work with any of the gates, but he chose to start and end the report with the sheep gate. Jesus in Revelation 1.8 says he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And without Christ and without his sacrifice, we would have nothing eternal. We'd have nothing fulfilling. Nothing is said, this is neat, nothing is said about the gates, locks, and bars. Why? Because the way of which Jesus Christ said, I am the way, is never closed to the lost sinner. The one who wants to come to the Savior, the doors are always open. But it's sad to say that Eliashim, 
unfortunately didn't stay true to his calling because later on he joined with the enemy and he created serious problems for Nehemiah when you get to Nehemiah 13. Some people start well. Man, they're all gung-ho. They're enthusiastic, but they might drop out or turn against the work for one reason or another. Well, Eliashib's grandson married a daughter of Sanballat, one of God's enemies in chapter 13. And then this relationship, no, 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 no doubt, influenced the high priest. Church workers start with the leaders. The priests may have played an important part. They may have tried to excuse themselves from the hard work by saying, well, you know, this isn't really my calling. I, I'm called to teach. And I, I, hey, but we don't read that here. We don't read that they did that. Spiritual leaders have to lead, not just in word, but in action as well. Nehemiah had the priests repair this gate and this section of the wall, respecting the priest's area of interest and at the same time emphasizing the priority of worship. And we read that when they finished their assignments, they dedicated the sheep gate and the tower of the hundred, which might mean it was a hundred cubits high. They dedicated this tower of the hundred to God. And that shows how they regarded their work. Their work was for God. They dedicated it to him. The result was all for God. All the citizens of Jerusalem did their part on this huge project by building the wall. And in the same way, the work of the church requires every member's effort in order for the body of Christ to function properly. The body needs each one of you. Are we doing our part? Find a place to serve God and start giving whatever time and talent or whatever else is needed to the Lord's work. Now, there's a couple of men on this list that later on become problems to Nehemiah other than Eliashib. And it's really disappointing to see that some people get really involved in God's work and then later on they fail. They fall by the wayside and they become helpers with, uh, to the enemy. And like I said, one of the men was Eliashib, the high priest. We see that in verse 1 and then verse 20. The other was Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. They're mentioned in verse 4 and verse 30. These men also became friends of the enemy. Eliashib's granddaughter married a son of Sanballat in chapter 13, verse 28. And Meshulam's daughter married Tobiah's son in chapter 6, verse 18. These were unequally yoked marriages. You know, this is still one of the devil's greatest tools. This deception that a believer and an unbeliever can pull together in the same direction is such a lie. The relationship ends up corrupting God's people and turns out to hinder God's work. Unholy marriages are still a problem in churches today. And there are a lot of pastors who marry unbelievers. And, 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 though, and divorce is common. And, and the remarriage of divorced people with, uh, with, with, without biblical grounds. And it's ruined the testimony of a lot of churches. And it goes against the gospel. Pastors make some people unhappy by refusing to perform an unequally yoked marriage. Or, or, or marrying divorced people with, with no biblical you know, foundation for it. But you see, it's better to make some people unhappy than making God unhappy by marrying the couple. Nehemiah's leadership was excellent. But great works for God don't just happen. It's the result of a lot of planning and organizing and hard work. 
We can't look for blessings and miracles if we refuse to get our life right and the other errors of our life in order. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. This tells us to get organized. It tells us to get our priorities in order, to have a plan and to follow it. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, which says if your life is a mess, it's not God's fault. It says that God is not in it. Nehemiah's life was well arranged and well ordered, as we'll see by the rebuilding of the walls. He gave the right jobs to the right people. Some of them cleared the rubbish. Others got the bricks ready for mortar. Others put the mortar on the bricks. Some of them put the bricks together. Each person did what they could do. And Nehemiah wisely put workers all along the whole wall so that the whole wall would be completed and nothing would be left undone. Where one group finished their work, another group started their work. Everybody wasn't assigned to one place. They all had their different places on the wall to work. This was necessary, very necessary, because if there were any gaps anywhere in the rest of the wall, the wall wouldn't be of any good. What good is if the whole wall is built, but you got one part of it that, that's, that's, that's not built up? The wall had to be, the whole wall had to be built to protect the city. And if one part of the wall wasn't rebuilt, the city might as well not even have a wall because the enemy could easily come through the unwalled area. Nehemiah made sure that the work wasn't interrupted. In other words, the work went on continuously without interruption. And we need this continuity. And we need this uninterrupted work when we serve the Lord as well. We need to make sure that our church facilities, our ministries aren't lacking. We need to make sure that we have everything that we need in the ministries. We have the materials, that we have the personnel. You know, the children's ministry, you know, we have to make sure they have their needed supplies and the people to do the, the work of the children's ministry. The worship ministry, the sound ministry, they need to have whatever they need to, to perform the ministry that God has called them to. We can't have uninterrupted service because we're lacking of supplies, equipment, or personnel. The most important thing we need is uninterrupted service by the servants of God. And uninterrupted service means that you're there when you're needed. Think about it. If you came to church one day and there was a sign on there, service, you know, uh, cancel a day, uh, no pastor available. But, you know, a lot of times we do that in the other ministries. You know, we can't, we, we can't get people for certain ministries or, or you know, at times. And, and, and you know, that... It, it, and, you know, you, you have to go into kind of emergency mode, and maybe start calling outside looking for help. I believe we should never have to call outside for help unless there was a major disaster. But if God has called us to serve, we're, we're called to be here. I mean, we should never, you know, again, have to, to go into emergency mode. And just like uninterrupted personal uh, Christian growth means daily prayer and baby, daily Bible study, it means not a day here and not a day there. So now we're going to look at, at the dedication of, the, of these people's work. And there are three ways that we can see their dedication or their lack of it that we see in the Jews' work. 
Now, again, we're not going to read through the whole chapter. We're going to look at the pertinent verses that, that stick out to us and, and teach us a lesson here. But in the Jews' work, like I said, there were three ways we could see their dedication or lack of it. First of all, we see that some people did more work than others, and that's always the case everywhere. Most workers are glad to put away their tools and go home when their job is finished. But these people here that we're going to look at, they, they asked for more work. It's not enough for us to say that we've done just as much as everybody else. We must do as much as we can as long as the Lord enables us. Jesus asked in Matthew 5, 47, what do you do more than others? You see, the inference is we as God's people are to do more. We're different. Some people do their work at home. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. It says, next to them, Jedediah, the son of, uh, of Haramoth, made repairs in front of his house. And then in verse 23, no, let's continue. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. But in, in verse 10 here, verse 23 and verses 28 through 30, it said, it mentions all these people that did their work at home. At least six different workers plus an unknown number of priests, priests repaired parts of the wall that was closest to their homes. This is a great lesson. If all of us would follow this example, our neighborhoods and our cities would be in a lot better shape than they are. And of course, there's a spiritual lesson here. It says Christian service starts at home. A Chinese proverb says, better to be kind at home than to burn incense in a faraway place. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5, 4, let them first show piety at home. Six times we read that they repaired another section. Look at verse 11. Malchijah, the son of Harim, and Hashab, the son of Path, uh, Pahath Moab, repaired another section. Notice that. We read that in verses 19 through 21, verse 27, and verse 30 as well. Six times we read they repaired another section. Doing another section meant that when a worker finished the first job that he was assigned to, he wanted another the workers asked, hey, what else can I do? And it should be the same in ministry. Maybe I, I'm not busy in my ministry, you know, at church, and, and maybe and they're, they're, they may need help in another ministry. Hey, you know, going over this, hey, you know, do, is there anything I can do? Do you need anything? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not busy. What else can I do? These people wanted to do all that they could to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which is very commendable to these men. Very commendable of these. This is a testimony to their dedication to the work and the honor of God. It shows a lot of dedication on their part in doing the work. And you know what? That's what we all need to do. See more of this dedication in God's people and his work in our churches today. Now, a lot of people want to serve, but a lot of time it's 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 has advisors. Some people just want to, to do the bare minimum of anything at all. These men wanted to do more than just get by. They wanted to do extra work. They, intent, they intended to do more than what was required, and they wanted to do more than what was asked of them without complaining about those who were doing less or those who were doing nothing. 
The kind of dedication and attitude for God's work will produce unlimited work for God. And one's dedication or lack of it determines how much or how little one produces for God. The second thing we see of these is that they is that they love the work. Look at verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully. Now, in the Old Testament, it said says earnestly repaired the other section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. The word Baruch is the only worker of whom it is said that the work was done earnestly. Again, it's the old King James. It says earnestly. It's translated carefully here. But the Hebrew word means to burn or to glow. And it suggests that Baruch burned a lot of energy. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Paul advised the slaves to work hard for their masters because they were really working for Jesus Christ. Lazy workers not only rob themselves and the Lord, but they also rob their fellow workers, their fellow, you know, uh, uh, servants. Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 9, he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him whom is a great destroyer. Baruch earnestly or carefully repaired another section. In other words, Baruch put sweat into his work on the walls because he worked hard enough to get warm, to get hot. Paul said in Romans 12, 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent, which means hot, boil or go in spirit. No, it's serving the Lord. Not lacking in diligence, serving the Lord, but glowing hot in spirit. The word diligent, uh, uh, diligence relates mostly to action. Being fervent in spirit relates to attitude. Diligence literally means to boil and figuratively to be fervent. So the idea here is of having enough heat to produce the energy needed to get the work done. To have a heart's desire to burn out for God. One of the oldest problems on earth is lack of enthusiasm. And most people could probably make a long list of their failures that, that was due to other reasons than, 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 than to no other reason than lack of interest, a lack of dedication and commitment. Fervency requires determination and persistence, not giving up. We need more than just good intentions. Paul said in Galatians 9, he encourages us not to grow weary while doing good because in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Even before Apollos totally understood the gospel, in Acts 18, 25, it says he was fervent in spirit and he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord Jesus. But no believer in the early church was probably more fervent in spirit, more untiring in the work for the Lord Jesus than Paul the Apostle. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And then in Colossians 1, 29, he says, To this end I also labor. Paul in Galatians 4, 18 said, It is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And the word zealous means to have warmth of feeling. And we as God's people, we need to have this kind of zeal, this kind of fire, this kind of warmth when it comes to serving the Lord. And those who do will do a lot for God. And then we see here that there are those, there were those who, who never break a sweat when they're working for God because they're not on fire. They're not earnest in what they're doing. 
They can't get fired up about the work of God. They're lukewarm. They, they've neglected their first love. And they have allowed their fire uh, for Jesus Christ to grow cold. And so the third thing we see is avoiding the work. While most of the workers were working hard on the walls, there were some exceptions. And Nehemiah mentioned this one exception. Notice verse, let's go back to verse 5. And Nehemiah says, next to them, notice, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. What a sad attitude these men had about the work of God. Now, Tekoa was about 11 miles from Jerusalem, and some of their people traveled to Jerusalem to help the work there. What a difference between the people, the Tekoites, and their nobles, which were the upper class. The Tekoites, they, they, they built in two places on the wall. We see it in verse 5 and verse 27. But it says their nobles, again, which were the upper class, they refused to do anything even in one place. I mean, were these nobles so important in their own eyes that they couldn't get their hands dirty? And we read that Paul was a tent maker and our Lord Jesus was a carpenter. The Tekoites were not the only outsiders to go to Jerusalem to work on the wall because men also came from Jericho, according to chapter uh, 3 at verse 2, and Gibeon in, in Mizpah in verse 7. Their loyalty to their nation and their, their Lord was greater than their local interests back at home. They were for sure safer back in their own homeland, in their own communities, but they risked their lives to go to Jerusalem to do the work for God. The common people from Tekoa were good workers. Now, they're among some of the others who did extra work. Look at verse 27. Verse 20 says, After them, the Tekoites repaired another section next to the great protecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. So, some people did extra work, but their nobles didn't do anything. The Tekoite nobles were obviously proud and disinterested. They wouldn't humble themselves to work and they weren't energetic to do the work. They used their positions as nobles not to help other people, but to help themselves. They didn't recognize that the main reason a person has a high position in life is to help other people, not themselves. You have to give the common people of Tekoa, you have to give them credit for not letting their leaders, or I should say their, their nobles, who, who wouldn't do anything, cause them not to work. They're a good example to follow. And sometimes, or how many times have you heard people say, you know, say, well, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. Nobody else is doing anything. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve. Nobody else is. That's the wrong attitude. If the nobles don't serve, we serve anyway. If the church leaders are slacking and serving, you serve with all your heart anyway. The best thing to do is just ignore them. If others in the church won't do their share, you be willing to do more than your share if it's needed. And here's why. Because reward from God is based on what, we ha- what you have done, what we have done individually. The Bible tells us in Romans 14, 12, each of us shall give account of himself to God. And God's not going to say, well, yeah, okay, you know, you might, you might understand nobody else was doing anything. Why should you do anything? No, my obedience is to God. 
My service is unto God. It doesn't make any difference what, uh, what anybody else does or doesn't do. We have to account for what we do. We have to account for our own actions and the negligence of others. Hey, it's not going to excuse our negligence. And then the last thing to be said about Nehemiah's leadership is that it was based on what he's recorded in chapter 3. And it seems that he recognized what each worker did. You could probably picture Nehemiah going around the wall to all the different groups of people that were working and say, how's it going, guys? What do you need? How you doing? He knew their names and he praised them for the work that they did. Not only that, Nehemiah would have written down, all right, who came back from the exile in chapter 7 and other important lists in chapter 10 and 12. He did that. There's a list of those people who came back from the exile in chapter 7. And like I said, another important list in chapters 10 through 12. Somewhere there would have been a record of what each person did, recognizing their contribution and everybody's name, but one. Guess who? Nehemiah's. His name is not on the list. In this long list of names, Nehemiah wasn't on it. Even though he was just as active, just as involved as anybody else. Probably even more so, you could be sure. He didn't put his name on the list. When it came to giving credit, he didn't say like King Nebuchadnezzar did. Oh, this look at this great kingdom that I have built by my mighty power and the honor of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar took glory for himself and he was judged for it. But by contrast, Nehemiah gave credit to others, listing what each person was given to do and what they each accomplished. Then when it was all over, he gave the final glory to God as he had done from the very start of the project. Nehemiah's conclusion was this. This work was done by our God. Chapter 6, verse 16. In closing, here in this chapter, we find a pattern to follow by those who want to strive for excellence in leadership. The completion of worthy goals, getting the job done, and the glory going to God. Nehemiah's most important purpose was to document for future generations all the way down to us. And the official records, the names and the accomplishments of the people that worked on the wall. No one person could have done the work of repairing the walls and restoring the gates. It took Nehemiah's leadership and cooperation by all the people. Each person had a place to fill. Each person had a job to do. It's not any different for the church today. We need to work together if we're going to finish the work to the glory of God. Paul said, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this instructive chapter, Lord. Father, teach us how to work. Teach us how to work together, Lord. Teach us to follow the examples that Nehemiah set for us, Lord. And we'll see even more as we continue through the book of Nehemiah, God.
Lord, we thank you for your spirit, Lord. We thank you that he's the one who energizes us, Lord, who strengthens us, who lifts us up when we're down. God, who encourages us when we get discouraged, Lord. Father, who helps us to look unto Jesus and not to look unto others, Lord. Who strengthens us when we're weak, God. Lord, who who sufficiently supplies all that we need, God, when we're needy. We thank you for being our great provider, Lord, in all areas of our life. And Lord, we thank you for the greatest provision of all, the great gift of salvation. And Lord, may we be receivers of that gift, Lord. May we not reject that gift. May we not refuse to receive it, Lord. You've been offering it for, the, for over 2,000 years, Lord. But one day that offer is going to end. And we'll not have that opportunity. But while it is today, let us choose Christ. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, tonight's the night. Don't leave here without Christ. As they lead us in this time of worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way towards the steps up front. And I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.